Hello and welcome to Why the Last Podcast. I am here with my illustrious co-host, Miss Lacey. Lacey, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Living that dream. What's your at on Twitter, Lacey? At Embalmarama. That's our girl. My boy, Mike. <laughs> how are you doing, Mike? Uh, you know, I'm better now that I'm not at work and I'm here. So uh, thank you for asking. Not working. Can we get a W in the chat? What's your ad on Twitter, Mike? Uh, Mike X Nichols. Thank you. And of course, Mr. Grimm. How you doing, brother? I'm great. How you doing? Living the dream every day, man. What's your at? Exile Grimm with two M's. That's our boy. All right. And myself, Easy Treasy on Twitter.com. And we are here to discuss the sixth episode of Why the Last Man. This was a real banger, jam-packed with action. What would you guys think? This is great. I love this one. Uh, We finally got to see uh, a little bit of opening in the Amazons, and that uh, big, big win for me. Also boobies. (laughs) Lots of titty in this episode. If you guys have not seen it, please check, if only for the titties. Every every time that... Every time that happens, like the, throughout the episodes, like Grimm is like living right now. He's gonna be like, "Yes, yes!" <laughs> like the the sicko um, meme that's outside the thing. window. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Grimm watching this episode. <laughs> that's right. That's absolutely right. It's my favorite episode so far. I think. Yes, a lot of people are saying that too. Yeah, it's because they've set up everything, and now we actually get to see kind of things develop past the setup, and that's nice. Yeah, things are really starting to roll now. And speaking of um, our heroes, our hero, um, not actually hero, but, you know, Yorick and Agent 355 and Allison Mann, I'm not sure where they start from. Do we know where they are geographically on their way to San Francisco? They're still on the East Coast, aren't they? Oh, yeah. They're definitely still, like, in Massachusetts at least, right? I mean, they can't be that far. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I think that they said that they were heading south. All right, that makes sense. Thank you. So we are on our way to San Francisco to find resources for man's research because it was all destroyed at Harvard. Is that correct? Yes. Well, that's what she says. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Might be hiding <laughs> no, something. That had just occurred to me as of this episode that maybe Allison Mann was not the reliable narrator that we can trust um and who knows what's really waiting for us in san francisco we don't know yeah we have no idea but it's it's definitely yorick uh, obviously immediately assumed it was a man which is always funny um Mm -hmm. that that's where his mind went but he probably isn't too far off in terms of it's a person she wants to get to and now she realizes she's got some juice and resources to do so and from Yorick's perspective, both of his companions on this journey are requiring a leap of faith from him because he is literally the last man on earth. Everybody wants something from him, whether it's to burn him in effigy or to drag him to some lab and run tests on him or to do something horrible. You don't know. All we know is that these are the only two people who have got his back and the both of them are set against each other. They don't trust each other. And that's got him in a, a weird situation in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like that. Um, Lacey and I were talking about it 
Um, and it's like, this is like what makes the comic really compelling is that the characters, like they really develop, like they don't, they're not the same people throughout this journey. And so, yeah, it makes sense. They're both like, man has her reasons for not trusting 355 and it feels like honest to the character. Um, like, oh yeah, she wouldn't immediately take to her. Um, she would have her, like her doubts. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really interesting to sort of see Yorick caught in the middle there. And these three characters are canon. Would you say that from the comics perspective that this is um, an accurate retelling of the beginning of this journey of these three as a trio? I feel like Man is uh, a little bit nicer than I remember from my reread in the comics. And also a little more, um, I don't know, I think her character has probably gained the most thus far from, uh, from the update. Yeah, I would um I would say that I think that the Doctor Man that we're seeing in the show is a lot more funny and manic, if that makes any sense. In Absolutely. the comic, she is like kind of critical, like very like scientist minded. And I feel like she's a little bitter in the comic for the most part. Whereas in the show you get to see like you get to see other sides of her. Like she's really funny. She is constantly making me laugh. She said some stuff in this episode where I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> her, her actress is incredible. Yeah. I think making her funnier also helps like, uh, kind of, uh, emphasize, uh, 355's not being, uh, funny. Yes. <laughs> I think it helps that out a little bit more. 355 is the straight man to Yorick and now to Allison man too. And that's clearly the role she's most comfortable in. And we see that, as this episode opens and Yorick, of course, starts wandering. Um, the three of them have found motorbikes, if I recall correctly, and they are traveling until Yorick starts wandering off when he hears some music. You can imagine how that would be for 355 if every time your charge hears something, he just goes in the completely wrong direction. So she is understandably frustrated when she finds him, but she appreciates what they find. They find this beautiful church memorial for the lost, which is so gorgeous. I cannot listen. I'm old. So that Radiohead song was like a part of my life. This is a beautiful, beautiful moment. And it fits the story so well. It fits the identity of the story so well. What did you guys think about that acapella version of karma police? Um, it's it's interesting because in the comic there is sort of a it's like spiritually true to the comic because in the comic there's a moment where Yorick with his mask on talks to another um, woman who has a mask on and they talk about how like all these great musicians are dead now and it's just sort of hitting them that they'll never make new music again. Um, so I really like that that this like it feels very true to that um, and yeah so yeah and I love Radiohead too it's my curse to bear. <laughs> and i think that um i think in the comics they focus on the rolling stones and i was actually reading an article and eliza clark was talking about that and she was like it's 2021 like we got to pick something that's a little bit more current right so radiohead is like i think the perfect band to pick to do that um it is and it and it, she was like talking about how in 2002, even like the Rolling Stones are old. So it's just funny that that's like the, the reference that they use. But then we also got a shout out to Weird Al, which I love. 
Yes, and maybe that was a nod to that moment in the comics where they talked about Weird Al, but they chose two old but more contemporary artists that would resound with all demographics. And that was really well done. That was awesome. Absolutely. Also, Weird Al acknowledging it on Twitter was pretty funny. Yes, yeah. that was so great. His caption was, uh-oh, for the yeah. audience who didn't see it. <laughs> I think he also, um, I think he also retweeted the clip, and he said something like, "Because the character who whose name is Jack, the man that Yorick meets, like at the funeral, um, I guess like he says, um, rest in peace, we're at Weird Al, and Weird Al retweeted it and said, uh, thanks, question mark, <laughs> <laughs> which is so Weird Al. It's perfect." Now, at this moment, 355, she takes a picture out of her pocket. Do you guys remember who that picture was of? Did we get a good look at it? I didn't get a good look at it. I thought for a second maybe it was a picture of her in military dress. But I don't know if I trusted myself, and I forgot to check that out on review. You mean the flyers that they were handing out? Because um, oh, yeah, that that's was what's happening. At, yeah, so that's her picture because the um the agents the three agents on the motorcycles that are tracking them down i guess are handing out those flyers right trying to find her oh that's right okay thank you thank you that's right it's funny too because it's probably a shop like she had to like i mean they're pulling from her personnel file which doesn't exist so presumably it's just a photoshop of her face someone tossed on (laughs) <laughs> and as we saw uh, from the funny. first episode, she's a total master of disguises, so she looks completely different now. Right. The, uh, but Copa that was Rain. the moment. So we discover that they're being followed, and despite her little moment with Yorick, they have a moment of appreciation for each other, um, but then they immediately have to find somewhere to hide and come up with a plan. So they run through the churchyard to a um, a church house, in the back where they immediately set up camp and there's a little skirmish between the three man does not want to sit like sitting ducks waiting for these people to come find them. But agent three, five, five has a plan and tells them to set up camp. And that's, what's going to happen because you don't argue yep. with three, five, five. You don't do it. it. It's an interesting moment, right? Because like, they have to trust her. You know, it's like, hey, like, I can't explain this all to you. You're just going to have to trust me. And ultimately, as we find out, it doesn't go according to plan because they don't trust her. Nope. Um, but it's an interesting it's an interesting moment, right, um, that I think is justified for the characters. Yorick is kind of just talked into it because um, <laughs> yeah. that's Yorick um, in a nutshell. But, like, man is very much, like, not keen on 355 and thinks that she's going to get them killed yes as she says it's a uh, home alone or a waco situation (laughs) what's up Lacey? yeah i thought that yeah the waco reference always gets me (laughs) but um (laughs) uh i think that a common thread throughout the whole episode was trust issues right like everybody going through trust issues like every character interaction is like people deciding whether they're going to trust someone or whether they're not going to trust someone. Um, So I thought that that was, you know, I thought that that was explored really well between what was happening with Yorick and agent 355 and Dr. Mann. Um, And I think that, uh, I think Yorick 
is probably the most trusting character in the whole thing because he kind of he won't leave her even though she's given him so many reasons to doubt her and to be suspicious of her like finding out that she has not contacted his mother like i don't know i thought that that was kind of sweet that he was like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna leave her they're already planting seeds of romance between these two is that uh is that canon i i don't want to spoil anything oh Um, you're right you're right i'm so curious There's chemistry between them. I'll leave it at that. Thank you. I felt that. I felt I that mean, chemistry. Dr. Mann brings it up. I mean, she notices it as a character. So, we'll And see. York does not dispute it right. either. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't, he, <laughs> no, he doesn't deny it. He's yeah. just um, as head over heels for 355 as the rest of us are. So, I mean, how could you not be? Look at her. Exactly. She's amazing. So back in D.C., Kimberly Cunningham... Our Megan McCain is working on a Regina Oliver, hoping to curry favor and build herself a caucus. And Kim asks, was Regina married? She loves men. I love men. Never found a guy who could take the heat. Cunningham is not afraid to kiss ass and all too happy to hear Regina's angry white woman rhetoric. The two conclude that Jennifer Brown cannot lead the ad hoc establishment sorority. So... We know that in the comics, these two form an alliance, but we're just beginning to see the, the, the intro to this here. How is this, how is this going so far? Is this pretty much how it went in the comics? This is mostly new because it's uh, like there was a Republican contingency in the comics, but they were already basically kind of uh, formed. Okay. Um, and it was like the wives of the dead Republican. Um, yeah. Yeah. The show has done a really good job at sort of capturing things from the comic and actually like making characters to sort of like present that perspective and like give an arc. So, and like kind of get us more invested, I suppose. Well, um, and it prevents like, it in a way that doesn't require as much exposition, too. This all, right, it's right. telling a story. Yeah, they're getting much deeper with the, um, like the, the differences between the women and kind of how it like boils to a head, I think, because. Like Grim was saying, you do you don't get that at all in the uh, comics. There's no exposition really leading up to like their big thing, and it's it's really a small part of the comics. So it's interesting that they're like letting this develop and fleshing it out like a lot more fully. But I think that that makes sense to do in 2021 as opposed to 2002. It's just better storytelling. Yeah. 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 In the comics, it's a lot of like the unknown. Everything is unknown because of how much things have decayed. There's no communication. There's no telecom like infrastructure of any kind. So every time they go someplace new, York and, and Man and 355, it's, everything's totally new. And who's doing what um, is kind of a, a blank. Uh, it's kind of a blank slate for them to learn about what's changing in the world. But in this one, it's um, and in that one, it's more of everything happening in D.C. is just there kind of to create the chaos to force them west. Right. Yeah. Um, and they have other reasons for going west, but it's it's basically just to kind of move things in that direction for the travel log. But in this one, we're getting a bigger, broader view of what things are happening. And uh, I am a huge I, I'm a big fan of these subplots. It's awesome. So that's two of our three threads. Our third is 
Hero and Sam at the abandoned fire station, I believe, that they've taken residence in with the as of yet unnamed daughters of the Amazon. I thought it was like a Costco. Didn't they move yeah, to that a right. Costco? Yeah, that was the vibe. They started somewhere else the and then they moved. Shelter. Yeah, yeah. They moved to, yeah. to the Costco. They were like at like some sort of shelter before that. Right. Well, when we find them, Roxanne has a circle of chairs and the women are discussing trauma and harassment in a sort of group therapy. Sam is uncomfortable, not just because of the obvious transphobia happening all over the place there, but it's too earnest for him and Hero. So Hero has a surprise for him. She's found their stocked pharmacy with enough hormones to keep him well and enough narcotics to keep the both of them oblivious. And here we have a bit of a Odysseus and the Lotus Eaters moment for Sam, who could stay here and stay high and stay well or go on their original journey. What's up, Lacey? Um, so I think that this is probably one of my favorite subplots, like everything going on with Sam. Because the irony is that, like, he was living in a world where he had to deal with transphobia. And it feels honestly like he's not having to deal with that, like, on the same level that we would see in the real world now. He's actually having to deal with people hating his masculinity because these women just don't like men. Yeah. So I find everything that's happening with his character to be, like, really amazing and I, I I I'm really hoping that nothing happens to Sam. I love Sam. I want him to be around forever. He's the best. He's such a good friend to Hero and he's like watching her like go through all her stuff. I know we're gonna get into it because all of that is really interesting too, but my God, this poor guy just surrounded by this madness. <laughs> and how important to talk about this because us white women like to think of ourselves as the arbiters of tolerance. And that's obviously not always the case. You know what I mean? And this is a great example of how that happens, how they, they have built themselves a defensive, a fortified defensive fortress to keep out the rest of the world and to protect themselves. And within there is so much hate and ugliness. And we are going to get a great glimpse into what kind of ugliness these tolerant, loving white women can bestow upon each other. Yeah. Especially in a world where they can't just call like 911 slash customer support. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although scary to think that you would call 911 and that someone like Roxanne would be the one answering the call. Jesus oh my Christ. God. Can oh, you okay. imagine her as a cop? We talked about, we were talking about this, right? Like um, trying to figure out like what her, what her background was. Like, where did she come from? And I think we all said like when it was real, she was a cop. We were like, oh, okay. Makes sense. All yeah. adds up. Yeah. Big so- cop vibes. Massive cop vibes. And you can see that uh, she really enjoys having these um, these therapy sessions. She starts getting really into it, talking about some really graphic stuff and targeting Mackenzie. And Mac has this moment where she realizes that many men around her in her life before the apocalypse were predatory. And you can see the realization come over her face. Um, But Nora does not appreciate this and immediately moves to protect her daughter from what she sees as cruel and unnecessary. Um, 
And there's a confrontation between Nora and Roxanne. It is interesting that like functionally there's no purpose for her to to make the daughter aware of any of this because those guys are are probably all dead. I mean, 99.9% of them are probably dead. Yeah. So functionally, these stories have no relevance anymore. They're just like reliving a past trauma to like instill that same trauma in the child who apps. It doesn't serve any real functional purpose. And it's, I don't know. There's something very interesting about that and how, you know, societies have done that forever where they just try to force their own trauma on newer generations where it's not even relevant anymore. I thought that was pretty interesting. The way of yeah. building in-group, out-group sort of mentality, right? The brainwashing thing. It's right. very cult 101. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Rick Ross is uh, Rick Allen Ross, I should say, not Rick Ross, because those are two different people. <laughs> the, uh, Rick Allen Ross's criteria is on, like, is it a cult or not? Uh, two of the biggest qualifiers is that it's a... Uh, um, is that you physically separate someone from the outside world uh, for mo- as much time as you can, and uh, that you have uh, strict, uh, rigorous like guidelines on what people have to say or acknowledge while within the group. Um, and then the the third big criteria is that they uh, it centers around an individual or personality of an individual. So we got those three going for us right now, pretty strong. Yeah, there's like a whole Sea Org thing happening here. This is getting weird. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there is a alarm, a uh, um, crazy system of cans strung up to be pulled like bells to warn the women when they need to rush to their posts and grab their automatic weapons. So they all line up at their spots and fire a warning shot at a small group of strangers where Roxanne walks out unarmed to meet them, where she disarms, humiliates, and rejects them all, refusing to take even the child, which is very uh, absolutely counter to the moment that she just had with Mackenzie, where it was supposed to be cruel, but because she wanted to protect the child. And here we see she's not interested in protecting children. That's not what this is about. Yeah, no matter how many times uh, she says it, uh, it's not about uh, actual bathroom justice of any kind. No. This is about building her army. This is about building her, her army of Amazons to defend her from it, whoever she offends next. It's about trust, right? She wants she wants the people in this group to trust her. Like, I am the leader and I'm going to protect you. I'm not like, you know the men who have traumatized you or whatever the case might be. Also, you know, she, she controls this access to this Costco where there's food and shelter and that's really rare to come by. Um, so people, when they're desperate, um, you know, they'll listen to anything. Right. Um, but she makes it exclusive. Right. Like, and she does that in front of them. And I think that's a very purposeful thing. Like, Hey, I could kick you out, you know, or I could have very easily not let you come in here. Uh, you know, You're the, the chosen Nora. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that firms the, my belief that it's like operating like as a cult too, because like you were show, like, like you were saying, Mike, that if she shows them that this is like an exclusive thing, they are going to, they're going to think a different way about her. Like, Oh, she chose me. Like I'm worthy of being here, but not them. 
And whole new brand of loyalty. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Scary stuff, you guys. Yeah. Well, back at the church, while 355 is improvising explosives, Allison corners Yorick and proposes that they leave her behind. She accuses Yorick of having a crush on the agent, which he does not fight, and being unable to accurately assess the danger that he's in. Yorick does not challenge the crush, but he refuses to plot and refuses to abandon 355. Oh, this is the moment we were talking about earlier where Yorick has to make a leap of faith, and he doesn't know which way is the right way to go because in front of him are the steps of follow my mother's instructions, follow this person who has protected me and trusted me and, and, and helped me or this person who could save humanity. Neither side feels like the right side. He doesn't know which way he's going to go here. This is an immense moment of gravity and such a short shot. And the way it was, the way it was filmed, the way it was acted was gorgeous. It was incredible. What did you guys think? I think um, I think that it was interesting because, you know, like you really you really don't see that the bonds the bonds that he has with three fifty five like in previous episodes it seems more so like he is like annoyed with her like <laughs> she is a burden to him she's like kind of ruining his shit because he just wants to go find his girlfriend and he can't do that anymore and now he has a duty a responsibility. Um, so it's honestly kind of a little shocking, I think, as a viewer to see that he's not just going to leave her just because mm -hmm. this doctor comes in. And I think that that is like proving another point about Yorick, which is that he does not like confrontations. No. And he does not like things to be messy and like uncomfortable. Like it's not a thing that he enjoys. Like he's very much so a people pleaser. So I the think go along, get along him, guy. Yeah, exactly. And it puts him in a bad situation when he's kind of like pinned between these two strong willed women. Oh, God, that's a really good point. Oh, no, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, save me. Agent um, 355. Something that I think is uh, interesting to note, too, is that I think York wants um, he wants to get to know 355 better. Right. Like, I think he wants like. He wants to help more. He wants like he he wants to get to know her more and she's got her own boundaries. So I think that's ultimately where things where that's what p pushes York away is that he feels like she doesn't trust him. So that's something that I guess we'll, we'll talk about when that happens a little bit later. We'll have to watch for that. Yeah. Well, back at uh, the Amazons. Nora realizes that she does need to lean into this a little bit in order to keep a roof and food over her head. She's got to she's got to get in there. So she brings Roxanne a cup of tea and apologizes for her outburst, assumes the appropriate humbleness that she would need to do in D.C. You know, she's got the perfect staffers attitude um, and Roxanne doesn't play this game. She calls her out for groveling and starts taking off her clothes. She reveals her single mastectomy. They discuss breast cancer, post-surgery mutilation, medical misogyny, 
and an online chat group where Roxanne and a group of cancer survivors called themselves the Amazons. Roxanne thanks her for the tea, calls her pathetic, and tells her to buck up. Now, did you guys get a feeling that maybe Nora's evil arc is starting here? I know you don't want to spoil this, but I want to know how true to the comics Nora's character is right now. Well, Nora in the comics, uh, unless I'm really forgetting, was like not really a thing. Um, mm-hmm. They were just general like henchmen of the uh, uh, of the the lead. Uh, okay. the, the woman who beat Bobby Fisher. I can't remember her name. Victoria. But, uh, Victoria. Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Yeah. Yeah. And Nora. Nora is a new character, basically. Um, and Roxanne's a new character as well. Uh, even oh, though, okay. like, Yeah. They're like, they're both new characters, but Roxanne is more based on like the character Victoria in the comic. It's like yeah. an amalgamation. Like I feel like of side characters in the comics and they're, giving them a little bit more breadth on the on the production end i feel like there's a lot more maturity in the new one and this isn't a dig at uh vaughn or gara but um the the idea that the smartest person is the person who is best at like leading the group or controlling the group is very much something a younger person would believe Mm -hmm. and uh i think the this production and its change is actually a lot better on the nose it's people who have a lot of very practical social skills in terms of being able to analyze who needs what and how an actual group dynamic works um as uh as terrible as um police solidarity is as a function in our country it's actually pretty great if you're a cop yeah because that is a support function and uh for them specifically and uh, that can take you pretty far if you got just enough people with just enough guns and you're all willing to back each other up no matter what. And she's recreating that Blue Lives Matter um, contingent with the Amazon, but kind of rebranding it through this, you know, Amazonian spirituality and whatnot. Again, back to that theory of loyalty and trust. You yes. Know? So we're still in the costco um the amazons have taken this whole big it looks like a gym almost this area what is what is it that thing that they were filling up with hot water what i was that just thing the that, area that they like took a bunch of tubs and just started making a, a bath area okay all right well they're all bathing very openly um comfortable with their bodies in the the company of only women that they've all been hanging out with for a while and hero is very clearly not comfortable with her nudity in this situation um and they start to move in on her uh telling her about their stories and roxanne saved my life she can save yours too we get the feeling that you don't like yourself very much which is exactly how exactly how hero needs to be seen right now but she's so cynical that she immediately sees it as a uh, um as a manipulation and she's right to her credit she's absolutely right that it's a manipulation even though it's something that she really needs to hear 
It is. And I, you know, I love being immature about all the boobs because, <laughs> you know, I am a disgusting pig as, as most men are. But it is done in a really amazing way here where it does display the complete confidence and trust they all have. And then they're literally working as a unit. The cinematography is they're all slowly going into hero. Each one of them is like taking a step every couple of seconds until they're all like literally at the edge of her tub telling her like, you just got to be cool with it. Just let it go. You know? Yes. And it's need each other. Exactly. Mm. And it's, it goes back to that theme of trust and they all absolutely trust each other. And no one is judging each other uh, outside of the bounds of how the group judges themselves, which is how the episode ends. And this is a fantastic example of um, well-used nudity, I thought. While I may not be a disgusting man pig, I also appreciated the boobs and all their variety and glory and how they they weren't used um obnoxiously it wasn't right it wasn't poorly done it, they didn't ogle people or like go down their figures it served a purpose to show how open and comfortable they all were and how vulnerable hero was by contrast it was really well done yeah i really like that too and it's interesting because uh hero looks the most vulnerable but physically is the least exposed which is such an interesting contrast and inversion of that trope, too. That's womanhood, baby. <laughs> now, separately, Sam is having a moment. It looks like he's journaling, just taking a moment away from all these transphobes who are floating around here. When he's approached by a woman named Kelsey, who commiserates with his loneliness, which is exactly what Sam needs at that moment. She asks him if he's excited for the event tonight. It's something that she calls a funeral. And um, <clears throat> that was a creepy moment. That was a real creepy moment there. Absolutely. Yeah. I thought yeah. she was definitely talking about something happening to Sam and I like lost it for a minute. I was like, Same. Please, please do not. Do, don't do this to me. They know what they're doing to us, girl. I felt exactly the same way. They know they're doing it on purpose. Oh, my God. It was such a tense episode for sam he is in such a precarious situation right now so that conversation did not like fill me with any sort of hope for his character i was like no. oh my god no but i love how they they've used these women through this story because they they are so gorgeous all of them all in their different ways and when they get close to hero or sam you feel their fear you feel that terror that you can be so close to somebody who's ostensibly there to help you and, and cares about you, but it's so threatening. It's amazing the way they've done this. So uh, one of the details I liked, by the way, is when they do their, uh, when they do the, the funeral baptism um, and they're going through it, the, the uh, they do the, the soldier thing. If everyone puts a little bit of dirt on her, um, but they did it kind of in reverse where it's part of the baptism. And um, when she emerges, they name her Athena, right? Mm -hmm. And there were two really big, like important things there. One, the name Athena is already like establishing that their in-group is going to be extremely limited. Uh, there's not that many Greek gods. I mean, there are, but it's, you know, you're not going to get a city of them. Yeah. So they're definitely establishing a limited parameter with these renames. 
And on the second, like Athena obviously is associated with like war and wisdom, but uh, she's also known as Athena, the Virgin. And like there are like tone, like tones in Greek stuff about how she basically kind of eschews men. Really? Yeah. It's like her name is actually, uh, I think it's Athena Parthenos and it's like literally Athena, the Virgin. Wow. Yeah, so there, there, it's kind of, I feel like it's showing its hand a little bit, which we see in the end of the episode. And this is the first formal introduction we get to the concept of them as the daughters of the Amazons. Right. Which we all kind of knew as yeah. it was leading up, but that was really exciting. Yeah. <clears throat> That's the nice part about when something is done so well in capturing a spiritual tone of a, of a work as opposed to capturing the text is that you get to see the thing evolve on screen and you do know what you're leading to, but it's, it's more fun to have it implicit and not, you know, not have it immediately confirmed, you know? Right. The reverse right, no. of ready player one. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 To me, like, if you want something, and we, you've said this too, Grim, like, if you want something that's exactly like the comic, you can just go read the comic because it's going to always exist. But um, something I also like about the show um, is that when you watch it, you might have an idea of where it's going, but the show also does a really good job at sort of knowing that you might know that, that there are people who have read the comic or are walking in. And it, I think it does a good job at sort of playing with those expectations. Um, yes. Like like Sam as a character, you know, I'm not 100% sure what's going to happen to him. I hope for the best, but right now I'm not so sure. But he's a character who was, you know, made for the show. And yet he's like organically part of the narrative now and uh, don't know what's going to happen with him. So there's like little things like that. Yeah. And they, they scared the shit out of us when they mentioned the funeral, like you said. And part of the reason we were scared is because there's enough changes that that could have been Sam's funeral for all we knew. It would have been right in line with their whole thing. Well, right after this, we get a couple of quick vignettes from our other two threads. One being Allison bonding with Ampersand, which was gorgeous. She's sharing the uh, communion wafers with him. Well, trying to. Scene. She didn't mm-hmm. like it. <laughs> so good. I, I love that scene. I think she said, you want you want some more Jesus or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> Body of Christ. Body of Christ. It's so good. Blech. Oh, she's adorable. I love Diana Bang. She's the perfect, perfect actress for this character. She's just brilliant. Oh, yeah, she rolls. But, yeah. But later on, Yorick um, confronts 355 about her sleepwalking, and she snaps on him. And here, back to that concept of trust, where Yorick is saying, I trust you. And she says, I'm not your girlfriend. I'm not your mommy. I'm not whoever you're missing. Whatever it is that you think you're going to get from me emotionally for being like this, you're not going to get it. So just follow my orders because I'm going to put my life on the line so that you can get to wherever my orders have dictated you need to get and just stay out of my way, you know? And Yorick decides right then and there, if I have to make a leap of faith, it's going to be with the one who doesn't literally hate me. And it's hard to blame him for making that choice. You know, it's not just because she just rejected him outright there, but also because he's really developing feelings for her. We can all feel that. And she's not going to tell him what he wants to hear. He's, she's never going to be the one. There's there's also like the idea of 
like 355 is somebody I think who takes on like a large burden on her own. Um, and we've seen that she feels like she has to take care of things. There's things that she's not telling people cause it's like a need to know sort of thing, but she's taking on like a huge burden with this group, you know, and like leading this group and protecting this group. And, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't want, for whatever reason, she doesn't want them involved beyond just like, Hey, do what I say, just stay here. I'm going to take care of everything. Yeah. And I think that with 355, you know, we haven't really seen what her, I mean, we have, we have been given some information that I think implies that the way that she was brought up and the way that she was raised is not like the norm. Like she was created to be a tool basically. Like that's all. Yeah. Like her humanity to her probably doesn't really mean very much. Like, so she's not going to talk about things like her sleepwalking and maybe why she is sleepwalking. Like, why is it that this is happening to you? She doesn't really linger on those things because she's not used to it. This is not something that I feel like she is ever done before. Yeah. So I feel like her lashing out made a lot of sense. And I, I feel like Yorick's response, like how you were saying, like it, it doesn't really, is it because like she responded so critically? I think that he, he is someone who gets his feelings hurt really easily. So I think that compounded with all the reasons that she's given both of them to be like, you know, suspicious of her really like catalyzes him to leave. But you know, too, like you also know that she doesn't really want that. Like you can feel it. She's just like, she's upset because she doesn't want to have to talk about this thing that is like really bothering her. You put it so perfectly. She doesn't have the tools. She doesn't have the language to respond to that level of empathy of commiseration. She just doesn't, she has her orders and that's the only thing she understands because she, I get the impression that she feels like she might crack. Right. If she allows herself to feel, you know, there's also like a utility in not showing weakness and it's counterintuitive to like how we live and experience things now. Now it's, you know, there is a lot of people feel really open about uh, kind of putting their plane, their pain on display and getting into the, you know, people sharing empathy. And I do appreciate that it's a, uh, a vital resource in a world that's changed this radically because uh, when those are kind of things that are more effective when uh you know the lights are on and the fridge is stocked because there becomes a value in um being a rock to some degree and being uh not showing weakness at all costs when you have that much power and change happening at once that security yeah yeah i we've talked about this too like with 355 you know she's been dehumanized you know partly it's for different reasons, but part part of the reason so she can kind of go wherever she needs to go, take on whatever identity she needs to take on and move on. You know, the mission comes first. Um, you know, so much so, though, that she doesn't even use, she doesn't, she has a real name, whether the show says it or not, but uh, she has it, but she doesn't need to use it. You know, she doesn't want anyone calling her by her real name. They don't even need to know it. Her name is 355 or whatever identity she's given. And you're, I, I see that as a great point, too, about her possibly cracking, right? Like, if she embraces that humanity, what happens? You know, does, does the rock break at that point? Yeah. And maybe that identity is part of what she's trying to escape. 
I feel like her identity right now is something that's kind of like transitory for her because she is essentially we're getting to see her be herself for the first time because she's not being dictated by the people that run the culpa ring. She, she is ostensibly doing exactly what Dr. Mann accuses her of, which is being a secret agent who's like working on the fly. Like that's what she's doing. So she's actually using like more of her own thinking and her own methods and things that she's learned, but are distinctly her own for the first time in who knows how long. And she's not going to answer to them. She's not going to explain her motives. It's all no. a secret. Yeah. And it's also, um, it's kind of interesting because there's a utility uh, in not explaining it and trying to develop it on the fly. Um, it, it, this is kind of an odd example, but if you ever look back at nuclear history, when people were just starting to learn how nuclear <laughs> stuff works, um, I'm talking about like Oppenheimer era, not like Curry, but yeah. um they you, you you'll read stories and it'll be like yeah one guy thought it would be a good idea if we did this and then he died of cancer two days later so we decided that was probably a bad idea and then they're like oh and then we put some hot dogs in a garbage can and we we shot a bunch of nuclear uh radiation at it and uh, that's how we made the microwave <laughs> and it's like just you know there's a utility into trying to be creative enough that you do something that works and uh, especially when you're dealing with things one on one where you're trying to overcome larger odds than most people and you have less support networks and less communication to rely on. I see what you're saying. So when the odds are stacked against you, spitballing is all you got. So yeah, don't, the, the game don't theory kind of changes to Hail Marys make way more sense. Yes. Yeah. But try explaining that to the geneticist who doesn't want to die, you know? A little touch and go there. Right. We also have a real brief vignette where um, we find Miss Megan McCain, Kimberly Cunningham, following <laughs> Christine, um, our pregnant aide to President Brown, who just found out that she's potentially carrying a baby so quickly after the apocalypse and is more than a little bit freaked about it and doesn't know what she's going to do. Um, but Kimberly asks her if she would carry the baby to term so that she can raise it, which is no small commitment to make. Um, and you can see that Christine is touched, but also wary. Right. What do you guys think? So yeah. I laughed really hard when <laughs> she was saying the thing about how, like, I don't know what you've heard about Christians. <laughs> Yeah. But we're actually we're actually pretty understanding. And I <laughs> I I definitely a lot of people in my family are Christians. I know that there are like nice Christians out there, but that the way she delivered that line, I was like, oh my God, how many people have you met like this? So funny. So funny. We all know that up. one. Well, presumably Amber Tamblin personally has met lots of people like that because she was a Joan of Arcadia. You know what I mean? I'm sure there's so many hyper-religious people who are walking up to her being like, oh, yeah, you know, like getting real religious with her. And she's got to like, you know, I don't know what her personal religious views are, but I can definitely assume there's people way more intense than her coming up to her and talking about that. I do know her personally since she did just recently retweet <laughs> my comment. So I feel confident in telling you that, yes, you're right. And she's wonderful. <laughs> 
Back to the Amazons. They gather for this funeral. Drum roll, please. An elaborate baptism ceremony during which Laura is reborn as Athena, a full-fledged daughter of the Amazons. Now, Kelsey sneaks off after Sam, who got creeped out by the whole situation. She listens to him, but warns him not to speak to anyone else about his apprehension, telling him that the Amazons have been warned to keep their distance from him. But she's immediately called away and knows she's in trouble. This was a super foreboding scene. This was so scary because they built up a sort of a sexual tension between Kelsey and Sam. In the former scene where she first told him about the funeral, she leans into him and describes her affection for men and that she loved them maybe a little too much. You kind of got the feeling that maybe she wanted to spend more time with Sam. I don't know. Did you guys get that impression? I kind of got that impression. Oh, yeah. At first, I thought that she was full of shit, but then when she does talk to him later in that, like, right after the the funeral ritual, um, I was like, oh, she really, she wants it. Because she's torn. Yes. She's torn by her loyalty to the Amazons who've protected and kept her and the guy who she has the hots for who's right there. It's a rough situation for Kelsey. Back in D.C., President's staff page her, and when she arrives, who do you know? Miss Regina is already there schmoozing with her military personnel, which she does not like. That was a big moment I felt. Um, I, I guess, what do you think? Grim, you're our D.C. specialist. Was that a uh, was that a sign to us that Regina was already down there with the military personnel when Brown got there? I don't even think it's a sign. I think it's a straight up power play of like, yeah, I can assemble a, a team without you here. Yeah. View me as a legitimate source of military power. Especially because there was so much, I guess, um, whispers about conspiracy among the military personnel when right. Brown first sent people looking out for Yorick um, and Hero. But anyway, their agents have tracked down agent, quote unquote, Sarah Bergen and two unidentified others, which we as the viewers know are our heroes. That's Yorick. And there is an assault underway. They're about to blow up our boy. Yee, not good. So back in the churchyard, the 10th Mountain Division are moving into position. They are ready. 355 realizes that Yorick and man have left her. She spent all this time setting up for her home alone scene and they ditched her as they flee. They are being pursued by the military calling for permission to engage in a skirmish ensues. Three five five manages to disarm and dispatch all of the agents destroying their sat phone like a goddamn queen. This was such a cool scene. The way this was filmed <laughs> out in the dark in the woods. It was amazing. It was very predator. Yes, your vibes out there. Oh my god! I think they the stole predator. the one shot from Predator. It was a great like homage with when the, yeah. when she went by the tree and she was on the one side and then it panned right back and she wasn't there anymore. I'm pretty sure that was straight from Predator. That was, that was because we only get the perspective of um, Agent Guyan. I believe her name was Agent Guyan. Is the the one who's um, calling for permission to engage, responding um, to DC. So we get this quick flip back and forth between. Um, the orders being handed down from D.C. where President Brown is 
very apprehensive about allowing this engagement to ensue, but she has this pressure from Regina and others to keep up appearances. It was a real nail biter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that also means they're probably in New York, by the way. So I'm just realizing that because you said 10th Mountain and I was like, oh yeah, that's probably Fort Drum. Thank you. I'm going to keep, I'm going to note that for next time. That is much more accurate. Real military Brad hours here. Yes. Uh, No, it it was definitely, um, I loved how it was filmed. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of the, uh, the high stakes, but low body count kind of uh, action. Yes. And uh, we definitely got a whole bunch of that in that scene. And also it was nice seeing like Brown watching and trying to get an idea of it while we were as well. There's this cool moment where um, 355 hands Yorick a knife and Yorick immediately assumes that she wants him to gut their hamstrings the same way that she just did to Agent Guyon. And she says, no cut off their laces, burn their boots as if it was the most obvious thing in the world. She's like, no, cut the laces. We'll burn the boots, slow them down. But she's already thinking of ways to non-lethally slow these people down. And that's for Yorick. That's 100% yeah. for him. Yeah, she kind of throws his mistrust of her in his face in that moment, I think, because she doesn't kill any of them. No, she's a good person. Yeah. I feel like she has made some questionable decisions and whatnot, you know. I mean, look at the pilots from earlier. But I felt like, I don't know, man. Like, that's a hard decision to make. And it's just like, yeah. would we, if, if you were worried about this person, like, they were already saying very negative things about this situation. And I could understand why she would feel like the need to hide it a little bit more. But And he also lied to her. Like, he's giving her a lot more reasons to mistrust him than she is to mistrust her. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I I wouldn't go so far as to say she's a good person. I just think she's doing a good thing. And she is very mission-oriented. And it happens to be a very, very uh, worthwhile mission. Yeah. I think she absolutely would have split all their throats in a second. And she thought of on the fly, just cutting up the bootlaces just to like, okay, now I'm going to make him look like the asshole because that's the thing that'll get through to him. That definitely seemed like the reasoning for me too, is that she was being pretty petty with it, you know, to kind of rub it in his face. Like not because she would have made that decision if, you know, if it was just her making the decision. Mm-hmm. No, she would be like, we need to crawl inside them for warmth. Like if she had to, like, I have no <laughs> doubt. Yeah. Like a ton. It's, it's all practical. Like it's about what the situation calls for. And 355 doesn't get attached. Right. Um, so, but yeah, I love that. I love that comparison to the Tauntaun. <laughs> Yorick, Ampersand, get in, get in. Come on. We have to stay warm. Like I just, yeah. maybe that'll happen during the winter period of the, of the series. We'll see. Could we be. can only hope. Yeah, 355 is going to come back and be like, hey, I got some pork. (laughs) Yeah. Our last scene, the very last scene of this episode is um, back at the Amazons, where Nora, from around a sneaky corner, watches a group of, I guess, how would we say this, knighted Amazons, the ones who already have their Greek name and have already been, like, donned They've been christened. They've been baptized and christened and reborn. Yes. 
a whole bunch of, of christened Amazons corner, confront, and beat Kelsey. And we know that this is punishment for talking to Sam. Right. Horrifying. Because they make it seem at the beginning that there's forgiveness. And one of the Amazons even seems to catch Nora's eye and gives Kelsey a kiss on the cheek and then immediately clocks her. Right hook, right to the face, knocks her down, and they all start kicking her. And I noticed in that moment that despite the rest of their flouncy, flowery gear, they were all wearing like Doc Martens. And yeah. you got to wonder if that's what they're for. You know what I mean? Like we are the daughters of the Amazon. We are beauty and womanhood um, impersonated. And then the Doc Martens are for stomping ass. It's, it's played like this is for your own good, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. It's um, Oof. it's it's very um, it's very ironic too because they're sitting there talking about, you know, dealing with men that may have abused them, and then they are like using the same justification to abuse a woman within their ranks. It's uh, each other. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not it's not great to watch, and I think that it also, you know, like you're so tense the whole time, like you know that something is wrong with them. But you don't ever see it, like, very openly. I mean, you only witness Roxanne turning away that family. That's about as violent as they seem to get. But now, when you watch this happen, you're like, oh, yeah. Lots of stuff they are hidden brutal. behind the scenes. Yeah, they are brutal. They're, they're going to do whatever they have to do. It and also... maybe we were hoping for a moment that when she shot Kate, that wasn't going to be exemplary of the, the violence that these people employ. But it is. Sorry, Grim. No, I was just going to say, it also shows that um, she uh, was very practical in her assessment of going to a battered women's shelter and picking them up specifically because she's like, okay, I need bodies and I need bodies I can control and I need bodies where I can make the bad guy someone who's not even like relevant or around anymore. And, you know, meanwhile, I get them to self-reinforce for the, the group. Like she, it, look, it makes it look so much more planned and tactical. And I uh, appreciate how it looks in retrospect once you get into it. Yeah. It's beautiful sociologically as well, because that is that demographic that I keep bringing up. The 50-something-year-old woman, professional woman, whose identity to her is an ironclad defense of everything that she believes. Her one breast, it makes her an Amazon. Her detective skills make her smarter and more reasonable and more responsible than everyone else in the world. And the way she sees the world, the life that she's lived, that is reality. Everybody else will conform to her reality because she knows better. These people are fucking terrifying. Yeah. So... We have a lot of threads hanging out at the end of this episode. Obviously, a lot of exciting things. Um, we have no idea what's going on with 355 sleepwalking. Still have not discussed that at all. At some point, that's going to become a problem. Maybe Yorick is going to be chasing after her the same way that she's been chasing after him. Who knows? What are you guys excited to see from tonight's episode? So, yeah, next episode is episode seven. Um, and huh, I don't know. I think I'm I'm definitely intrigued to see what happens with Hero 
and Sam, like what what's going to happen to Hero because she opens up to Roxanne. So it seems to be their Hero is trusting Roxanne. So I'm curious to see where that goes, even though I don't want to because I fear for the worst, but I, I can't look away. Yeah, I'm definitely interested more in the Amazons and what they're, for example, we don't know if they have like a vol cell thing kind of going on or if they are just no uh, male based attractions. We don't have any, we don't know if they have those kind of relationships between each other or not at this point. They could just be a straight up no. The the sex was the evil thing and we still are, that's still uh, to be seen. It could be. It could be that because, I mean, if they're not letting any, if Roxanne is like saying that nobody can be alone with Sam, like it at least is makes you think that they're not allowed to have sex with men. Exactly. That would also um, threaten her hold over people. If they were to sect off into relationships, it would make it harder for her to keep her sort of a cult leader status so i can see how volcel might be part of the requirements of joining exactly. the amazons the virgin indeed athena the virgin exactly I, there's there's interesting vibes it could go either way and i'm i'm curious to see what happens i also want to see like uh now we're going to get in theory we don't know but in theory we might get um the the trio traveling without being immediately pursued you know, they might be, quote unquote, kind of in the clear, or at least as much as they're going to get anytime soon. I can't wait to see what roadblocks come up on them tonight. This is going to be <laughs> exciting. I know this episode is called um, My Mother Saw a Monkey. So I'm I'm wondering if things are going to come to a head, you know, with the storyline there, because we've had a couple people like spot Yorick now. So we'll see. You posted a clip for us in chat, didn't you? That was awesome. I, I did, yeah. There's a preview that the that uh, Eliza Clark and FX put up, um, and it looks like they're in a camper. So it looks like the trio are in a camper, and they're making ground that way. And we can, of course, discuss it in full next week when we see the episode. But it looks it looks good. I'm I'm excited to see the full episode. Can't yeah. wait. All I right. actually uh, showed some of the episodes to my family when I was in Texas and my brother, I was like, you know that this uh, ampersand is CGI. And he looked at me and he was like, what the, what are you talking about? It's CGI. So they, they couldn't even tell the difference. They nailed so it. so good. Yeah. It's I, so good. A friend of mine watched it and had a similar reaction when I said like, that's entirely CGI honestly like if they didn't say anything if they were just like they said nothing about ampersand and just let it let it, it play it out, i would honestly think that they might have used a real monkey at times with cgi like it um it looks very convincing yeah i made my brother watch the series i was like look that's you you're yorick <laughs> <laughs> anybody have any projects they want to shout out Same. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I made a cake, my own personal project. Yes. Did you post it? No. Oh, post it so I can fave your cake. <laughs> it's like um <laughs> it's like a rough around the edges cake, you know? Made it for oh. my own personal consumption, so it'll be delicious, nice. I'm sure. Oh, oh my god, I forgot to mention my favorite quote from the episode is Roxanne telling Nora 
the world ended, it's okay to be yourself. Love that. That was a really good scene. As that was a really good was, scene. That was the nicest thing she said to her. Yes. Yeah. It's funny because it, it has like a very Lisa Frank binder vibe to it for some reason to me. <laughs> it really does. Post-apocalyptic Lisa Frank. That's my aesthetic right there. I mean, I don't know who Lisa Frank is. What am I, what am I talking about? Yes, you do. Yes, you, <laughs> you do. You definitely do. You're old you know like that, me. You know that like someone gave you a little Lisa Frank gift. I like that you guys think the issue was I was saying I was old and not that I was like giving you like macho. (laughs) (laughs) We know that like every cute girl in class had a Lisa Frank binder. Everyone did. And like the little erasers and the pencil toppers. Oh my God. (laughs) The best. Well, anyone else got any last words? I'm out of words. I'm at I think we covered too. it. Yeah, yeah I think so we covered it. We did I'm, good here. Yeah, I'm just going to sign off and say, uh, everyone, I hope you have a great week. And uh, we'll be back next week. Have fun. Thank you for watching. We love you. Bye, everybody. Bye.